Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Heard Tell. Oh, welcome back to Heard Tell. We got another one of our great Young Voices contributors. Excited about this one. This is going to be a good conversation. We're going to talk a little gas, natural gas, uh, and things that are going on in the world. Uh, Lindsay Kaiser, she's a student at the University of Michigan. She's been writing quite a bit about this in a lot of places like International Apology Digest, uh, Detroit News. Lindsay, thank you so much for the time today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Let's start big picture because we we talk about Russia's natural gas and their energy production, uh, and we talk about the geopolitics of it. Let's get the nomenclature right for folks. Um, Gazprom. Folks may not be familiar with it. Uh, if you watch a lot of Premier League soccer, they've got that around because they used to have a sponsorship <laughs> until two weeks ago. So you might have seen the name Gazprom. That's what we're really talking about here, because Gazprom, that's the energy giant out of Russia that also has all the ties with the oligarchs. That's where this whole ball of mess kind of starts is with Gazprom. So work us through that so that we know what we're talking about here. Yeah, certainly. You know, it's funny, um, Andrew, within the last maybe year and a half, Gazprom, which used to be, it used to supply 35% of um, European natural gas um, throughout Europe, like not even just domestically within Russia, but throughout the whole continent. And then within the last two years, not only due to COVID, but also due to um, Gazprom's, you know, board suggesting that they curb supply for their own benefit, it shrunk to 17%. And so Europe is struggling to find natural gas resources because their biggest producer just sort of decided, hey, why don't we curb supply, even though we have this increased demand, because we know we can, right? Because if they're the biggest producer, people are going to pay through the nose, Um so, yeah. And so then it comes to 2022 and, you know, Russia, Putin, very interestingly, decides to invade Ukraine. And all of a sudden, not only is the supply artificially curbed, but it's also naturally curbed because there's a war going on. And there are countries in Western Europe and Eastern Europe saying we can't take this dirty oil, right? Like from someone who is, you know, invading a democracy. Um, and so we've got this big energy crisis in, in Western Europe that started you know, in 2020, 2021, not just due to COVID supply chain issues, but due to Russian aggression, and then really has hit um, now in 2022. Now, if this was a law and order uh, episode, we'd call it a theory of the case. 
the theory of the case being there, uh, Russia has spent a lot of time. They've been pretty open about it. If you read a lot of overseas media, they were trying to make yeah. themselves sanction proof. They were really worried. They've been talking about right. internal controls. They've uh, changed how they do a lot of their acquisition stuff. They knew sanctions were coming. Let's be adults here. They knew this invasion was coming long before the rest of us did. It sure looks like they artificially depressed the thing because they were scared. Like, look, the one hammer they got against us is they can cut back on our supply to them. If we cut it back ahead of time, there'll be even more of a demand. There'll be even less chance of that. That had to be the thinking, right? right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, what's even more interesting is that um, President Biden released a statement uh, I believe on March 28th, where he was detailing um, how, you know, the U.S. has responded to Russian aggression and whatnot. And he made a claim that um, Russia, Russia's thwarting, like Russia's entry into Ukraine was was obvious or was was going was foreseen, I guess, by the U.S. But nothing in his you know policies suggests that nothing in the negotiations that occurred in January between Putin and Biden, between Putin and Europe said that anybody was expecting him to go into Ukraine. And so I find it a bit ironic that the president now will say, oh, well, we saw this coming when nobody claimed to see this coming. And the people who did see this coming were told that they were ridiculous. Yeah, it's interesting to me because for once, it looks like from everything we're being we can see, our intelligence got it right. Now, to be fair here, our yeah. people's like, well, why did they get this right and get everything? Well, because our entire intelligence apparatus has been pointed at Russia for 60 some years. We're actually pretty good at that one. We're well established with it. The intelligence was right, but intelligence is just that. It's a tool if you don't take anything actionable yeah. about it. And here's the bigger part of this, too, for me is. We've known for decades that Putin is a bad faith actor and that they're also a massive energy producer. So even if you didn't know this exact thing for the last year or so, we've had about nine months of this intelligence that they thought this invasion was going to come. We've known they were a bad faith actor. At some point, they were going to do this. They've held it over Germany's head before. They've held it over the EU's head before. It's not like this is completely out of the blue, even without that piece of it, is it? Because this has been going on for decades. Right. Yeah, certainly. And it's it's funny because, you know, you mentioned the sanctions. I mean, when Russia invaded Crimea back in 2014, we really increased sanctions on them. Um, the U.S., before the invasion of Ukraine, the U.S. had over 800 active you know, sanctions, if you will, or like export or import controls placed on Russia. Um, and all it did was strengthen Putin and strengthen his economy and strengthen his control over, you know, the Russian quote unquote democracy um, in order to you know, take better control of the economy and sort of revert to more of a command style manufacturing economy that that they could use to, you know, withstand this assault that the West and the U.S. has brought on them since they invaded Ukraine. So, I mean, yeah, this goes back at least, what is it, eight years to Crimea, if not 60, like you said, all the way for the intelligence that we've been gathering since the Cold War. <laughs> now, to be fair, I was one of them, too. Like, we we knew he had the capability. We knew he has he has lusted over uh, Ukraine and the other former Soviet republics to put them back in. Right. We we know all that. Look, I was one of them too. I thought maybe this would be more brinksmanship. Maybe it would be they would try to do a soft revolution and then come in and take it over. Uh, maybe we were just hoping <laughs> against hope that he wasn't going to do a full bore invasion. So I'm not going to knock the president real big on that. However, sure. now that it's here, I still find that the president is doing a lot of optics over substance, especially when it comes to the energy stuff. He he was just over in Europe. And he made right. the announcement about natural gas. And he said, well, we're going to release 16 BCMs, billion BCMs of natural gas. and We're going to start exporting it. Well, that sounds great. The problem is you already told us the numbers. 
they're trying Europe needs 540 billion units. They're trying to replace 40% of their energy sector. That's like 6% of what they're trying to replace, not just what they need. It's a yeah. good thing we need to export energy, but that's a drop in the bucket compared to what they really need to. This this there's a lot of optics and then when you look at the actual policies here, it's not matching up on the numbers, is it? No, it's not. And it's interesting because a lot of what the administration has supported is a push toward clean energy as the future energy, as saying, we're going to take this energy crisis, we're going to take this lack of, you know, available natural gas. And instead of opening up, tapping into more of our reserves, um, and even allowing, you know, the lease on public lands that we know have oil and natural gas resources beneath them, um, we're going to focus on implementing clean energy policy. And, you know, on the one hand, like that's fantastic, right? Like clean energy should be the future of energy policy. I think, of course, almost everybody would argue that clean energy is ideal in the long run um, to help mitigate climate change. But we have people in Ukraine with no homes. We have Americans who are seeing $2 higher gas prices per gallon than they saw maybe even two years ago. Um, and we have in Germany and Western Europe, we have Germany is paying $2.35 per liter of gas. First, that's higher than the price of gas was during the global financial crisis of 2008. Secondly, that's $8.90 a gallon. I mean, I can't imagine how Americans would react if that became our reality. Um, but there is a huge immediate shortage of natural gas and oil. Um, and you're right, the Biden administration has been pretty keen on using its optics and saying, oh, we're going to partner with Western Europe and bring all this natural gas and bring these energy resources over to help Ukraine. Um, but I think it's, you know, what about helping the Americans? We, our energy sector is suffering from this. And there are ways to sort of reduce um, our reliance on Russian energy. And part of it would be increasing, you know, U.S. natural gas resources and, and availability at home. Yeah, I'm talking to uh, Lindsay Kaiser about uh, gas issues around Ukraine and our own export-import capabilities. Uh, we're going to talk about our own uh, importing and exporting, of, but just to finish up in Europe before we come back off of Ukraine, folks probably don't realize, they understand Russia is an energy giant. Almost all those pipelines for Russia, this is why they were trying to do the Nord Stream. They were trying to cut right. off Ukraine and go around it. Just explain to folks the, the A to B part of this. We're talking about it in big picture geopolitics. Uh, I'm a logistics guy. Like I understand stuff's got to go A to B. These pipelines out of Russia and all the other areas that they're getting their oil from, from the uh, Western and Eastern reaches of their, you know, people don't understand how big Russia is. It's 11 time zones. Um all those pipelines went through Ukraine to get into mm -hmm. Europe. It, it's not just that the wars in Ukraine, this, this, is, this is just a stop gag right in the middle of how all the energy was getting into Europe and Europe by their own policies made themselves more reliant on it in the last few years than they probably should have. They're realizing it now just, just logistically. There's not a lot of good answers in the near term future to fix this. Is there? No, there certainly aren't. And I think, you know, part of it is um, like the Wall Street Journal reported that just last night, Russia carried out missile strikes against Ukrainian fuel depots, which simply just continues to exacerbate the fuel crisis in Ukraine and that which would serve the rest of Europe. Um, and as much as, you know, the U.S. has opened all seven ports of its liquefied natural gas, um, all of the ports, um, you know, it takes a lot longer to ship natural gas over the Atlantic than it does to um, run it through a pipeline that goes straight over land from, you know, Ukraine to 
um, Germany to Austria to the west of west the rest of Western Europe. Um, so it's yeah, it's funny. It has a lot more of a direct impact on Western Europe than just the country of Ukraine alone. Yeah, talking to Lindsay Kaiser, we're going to talk exactly about that infrastructure, uh, how we ship things, how we can and can't do things, how it could be beneficial to America to export this energy, the policies that are behind that. We're going to continue with Lindsay Kaiser right after this on Hertel. back to Hertel. We're having a great conversation with our friend Lindsay Kaiser, uh, talking gas, natural gas, uh, as a matter of fact. Uh, again, I'm a logistics and transportation guy. I like to make this stuff into A and B stuff because that's the world I lived in. It's served me well in dealing with politics because you get to cut through some of the noise. The fact of the matter is this stuff has a process to it. And it's great that the president was saying we're going to ship all this natural gas. You already touched on it, though. Now we're talking transatlantic shipping. We can do all that. But it takes time. Uh, the shipping routes and logistics that are going to take months. And like you mentioned a minute ago, let's talk infrastructure here for a minute, because we have seven uh, liquefied right. natural gas processing plants on the East Coast and the Gulf Coast um, for obvious reasons, because <laughs> when we're talking about pipelines in America, pipelining that stuff to the ports is the part of that that you need to really export this energy. So now that they want we mentioned the deal for 15 uh billion cubic meters of gas going to Europe. Yeah. They want to scale that up to 50 billion by next year. But to really do stuff like that, you have to have the pipeline infrastructure and you have to have the port infrastructure. And this isn't Biden's fault because he's only been in office for years. We have neglected this kind of infrastructure for decades for various reasons, from economical to political to environmental. Sure. These are the things that you have to be doing all the time ahead of time, because when the crisis comes, they're years away and it could have been a solution right now, isn't it? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're right, of course, that the lack of pipeline infrastructure is something that has sort of dominated American energy policy since long before President Biden was in office. Um, but it certainly doesn't help that he has fought tooth and nail to keep the Keystone XL pipeline closed. Um, something that a lot of you know congressmen have fought to reopen, um, including Congressman Pete Stauber from Minnesota. Um, and you know the thing about reopening Keystone XL is that it would really improve natural gas availability in the U.S. Um, and it would also help Europe avoid you know supporting a brutal regime to maintain its own energy security. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a tough look, and it's also interesting because it goes back to this thing about optics, right? It's like okay, so you really do want to help. Western Europe get its oil and gas, um, you know, imported from the U.S. That's fantastic, and yet you won't support the infrastructure that's necessary in order to make that pipeline, you know, dream like a reality. We talk about the pipelines, and I understand there's environmental concerns, um, yeah. but when w the pipelines, though, and I know they there can be leaks and things like that. the The idea of the pipelines is you get it off the roads, and you don't have to truck this stuff, and it flows right. smoother. There, there's environmental and car. In fact, the the one that they were trying to put through Appalachian, that would have been carbon neutral if that's something you're really worried about. The way they had designed that one, 
it is more environmentally friendly. At some point, perfect becomes the enemy of the good on the environmental stuff on this stuff with the pipelines. Right. And I'm, I'm look, they just tried to put, they're putting one through West Virginia right now. There's parts of West Virginia. I I'm don't sure. want a pipeline through because, you know, it, I'm literally where I grew up. They got <laughs> my hometown right now. They got them just stacked up all the pipeline stuff. I get all that. But then the opposite side of that is we we live in a globally unified world now. And yes, right. when Russia invades Ukraine, now we're going to pay for it because we didn't have our up. Where do you think we find that balance? Because there, there I don't want to blow it off because there's legitimate environmental concerns with pipelines. There's economical sure. concerns with pipelines. But there's also this alternative of if you make yourself dependent on bad people at some point, it is going to burn you. At some point, we got to make some compromises here somewhere, don't we? Absolutely. And I think, you know, one funny thing that something you mentioned reminded me of is that President Biden has gone on to say to meet with, um, I believe it's Saudi officials um, and other officials in Middle Eastern countries about securing more oil and natural gas resources. Um, and it sort of makes you wonder, you know, are these the nations that we'd like to pair up with? If we if pairing up with Russia, right, resulted in an invasion of Ukraine, um, and now we want to go pair up with the Middle East, not exactly a very democratically friendly place, not exactly a place that cares a lot about the environment, historically speaking, um, instead of, you know, making sure that if we if we pipe this oil and gas at home, we can put on our own environmental controls. Right. If we produce it at home, you know, refine it at home, we can control the way that it would impact the environment much more than if we just buy it from somebody else. So. I that's you know I think it's another question another question that goes into understanding the balance between Im improving domestic energy supply or buying it elsewhere and not having that environmental burden on our own land. See I like the way you put it is important too because you wrote about this when you were writing an international policy digest about natural gas being America's greatest weapon weapon <laughs> kind of a you know an analogy there Right. But it really is the case here because Putin has weaponized his energy sector. Uh, we already know the mess we've been in the Middle East for decades and decades over oil. Um, at some point, clean energy will be weaponized by people. It, I fear it will be because China dominates the raw minerals that we need to make batteries for all this electrical vehicle. The idea Absolutely. that these things are not going to be weaponized at some point is foolish. Shouldn't we treat resources like natural gas like, you know, the raw minerals that are needed for batteries for the EV stuff that's coming in the future. Right. Shouldn't we treat these things as strategically important geopolitically and not to, I think we compartmentalize this stuff too much like, well, this is an energy issue or this is an environmental issue. Shouldn't this be more of a holistic may not be the right term, but this stuff all goes together. Shouldn't we approach it that way so that we're seeing it in a healthier manner of like, look, we need to make a little bit of a compromise on the environmental part of this, and we're going to make a little bit of a compromise on this because we're going to keep us out of a geopolitical war. Shouldn't we be thinking yeah. about it more that way instead of just getting in our niche little policy sectors and not putting it all together into a complete picture? Absolutely. Absolutely, Andrew. And it's funny, I don't think anything has made that more clear than the Russian invasion of Ukraine that we are seeing reflected in prices for energy you know, to heat our homes and gasoline to power our cars. I think the fact that this is a geopolitical issue is, is you know, reflected in those higher prices that Americans are paying every single day. Um, even though we have not sent any troops to Ukraine, we have sent limited military weaponry to Ukraine, if that, and we've sent maybe humanitarian aid, that's about it. 
Um, and the president said, you know, we aren't going to get fully involved. And yet it feels like everyone's fully involved in this crisis, just given, you know, the, the skyrocketing inflation um, and higher prices for energy at home and for our cars. So, yeah, I think it's more evident now than ever that energy, you know, and whether it's clean, nuclear, you know, oil, gas, even coal, um, it's it's a geopolitical issue. It's not just an environmental issue or um, an energy, you know, only issue. Let's we've talked about the big picture. And let's take this down to the, the people level, the personal level. Um, something that I'm concerned about and a lot of other people are, this looks like it's going to be a long war, especially with the redeployment that the Russians are, they're not retreating their redeployment folks. Don't let anybody tell you different. Uh, this is going to be a long <laughs> war. Um, again, this is 40% of the energy that, especially the natural gas that Europe needs. Go look at a map. Uh, Europe is on the longitude with Maine. They're a lot more North of us. Winter is a right. big deal in Europe. Uh, not to go Game of Thrones, but winter is coming. I know it's you know April, but we're going to get into May, June, July, and all of a sudden you're into winter. Yep. This is going to really, one of the reasons they announced this deal with President Biden is they're trying to get this stuff online this summer because they're looking at the metrics. They're looking at the supplies. They're looking at the, the price of this stuff, and they're seeing winter coming. Uh, this is going to be a very ugly thing in Europe come winter if there isn't some pickup on some of these things. So we're talking about sanctions and supplies. There's a lot of people that are going to get real, real cold come this winter if something doesn't give. And then you're going to be into a secondary crisis of, you know, cold, cold elderly people, folks that don't have energy for the winter. Talk about the human aspect of this, because when we're talking big policy, sometimes we lose that. This is how people heat their homes. This is how people cook their food, especially in Europe, which is gas dominant still. Uh, Talk about that part of it, because that's what's going to be the headlines in August, September, October, when the panic sets in, if we don't do something now to try to fix this, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, I feel like I'm in a place of luxury to just sit here and complain about higher gas prices and higher energy prices, but at least we still have it. It's still being, you know, pumped into, you know, the gas stations and and pumped into our homes. Um, But there are a lot of people in Ukraine and in the surrounding Central European regions that can't say the same and certainly won't be able to say the same in the winter if, you know, if the U.S. doesn't increase its exports and if we can't get this situation, well, maybe it's not our problem, but if someone can't get this situation in Ukraine under control, Um, And I think, you know, there's another aspect of natural gas that we haven't touched on yet, Andrew, which is that it's used to make fertilizer um, in a lot of instances, which, of course, helps grow crops. And we are currently in the U.S. already experiencing a bit of a food shortage um, and higher food prices. Um, And then globally, you know, without having natural gas to make fertilizer, you simply just cannot grow food. Um, And so while we may see it as higher prices in the grocery store, there are a lot of countries that rely on food exports from the U.S., from Russia, and from a lot of Western European nations, um, especially, you know, those in like sub-Saharan Africa that simply just will not have food if we continue to see this shutdown and, and, you know, lack of supply of natural gas. Yeah, there's a great parallel with how we treat energy to how we treat in our agricultural sector, too, because they're already talking about famine in Africa, uh, parts yeah. of the Middle East, parts of uh, the subcontinent and Southeast Asia. That's where Ukraine grain goes and Russian grain, too. They, right. they outpour it. That's where that goes. And it ain't going to go there. And they're talking famine. This is going to kill a lot of people. This is going to kill a lot of people that ain't going to make the news because it's not bombs. Uh, one more thing. Right. Kind of put a bow on this. We're talking to Lindsay Kaiser. Uh, great conversation on energy. 
you, you kind of touched on it, but I want to come back to it as a way to kind of yeah. summarize this conversation. People are looking at energy differently now because we have this evil, you know, it's so clear cut evil right in front of our faces, but we also have short attention spans. What do you think the focus should be? We, we've learned this with other issues. You pick whatever, you know, whether it's social justice or diploma, diplomacy overseas or whatever, we got a short sure. attention span. What yeah. policy things should we be hammering right now, like in the next couple of months before the election when nothing's going to get done this fall? Of These are the policies we need to put in while everybody sees this clearly right in front of them. What do you think is one or two things we should really be focusing on energy-wise? That is a great question. Um, the first thing would probably be to ramp up domestic energy exports and also supply. Um, there is you know, currently a moratorium on using public lands um, with energy and gas or natural gas and oil resources. Um, I think, and of course, you know, that's done with sort of the climate in mind, but a problem like this, you know, what some people have called the third world war, right. It's, it just seems like it's a bit more timely and impending than, um, you know, our climate change crisis. Um, so I think, yeah, increasing the amount of American natural gas supply would be first, um, whether it's allowing Keystone Pipeline to go back into business, um, providing the infrastructure funding necessary to complete all of the pipelines that, you know, projects that were started and then abandoned by different, you know, administrations. Let me ask you this then real quick. Yeah. Um, the thing about the public lease lands, what, explain that to folks real quick, because they hear that all the time. It's like, oh, drilling on public land. Th these leases are long-term, they're existing, they're already there, but there's two components right. of it because they're there but then they still have to be developed by the companies, but then there's still a lot of regulatory layers that the government puts on top of that. There, there's a big dance that goes on there. Just kind of explain that to folks real quick so they understand what we're talking about. Yeah, like when you um, when you have like a lease um, to sort of get oil or natural gas out from public lands, um, that lease may be, you know, very, very long, like it might be years and years long, but because um, different administrations have different priorities when it comes to energy, um, there's a lot of red tape that has to be gone through and has to be dealt with in order to actually access and tap into those reserves. Um, and, you know, it's like every four to eight years, you've got someone telling you, you can either tap into it or you can't, right? And that's not very sustainable. Um, that certainly isn't helping us move toward a more effective energy supply, you know, like regulated and, and consistent and sustainable energy supply. Um, and it also doesn't help us when countries like Russia, who are huge energy suppliers and producers, decide that they just want to short shrift the rest of the world um, from things like energy, which as, you know, as people living in the West and most of the world, like we need energy on a daily basis. We need it all the time. We need heat or we need gas. Um, so yeah, they're definitely just, we need to focus a lot more on being able to tap into those reserves that we have, whether or not they're on public lands, um, get through that red tape, um, that has caused years of years of like poor supply and confusion surrounding what we have access to and what we don't, um, and get energy back in the hands of Americans at a reasonable price. Yeah. That's important what you just said there. Cause that's the, that's the, uh, that's the motto for foreign policy is you have to be consistent and coherent. Our energy policy has not been consistent and coherent and it needs to be. No. Lindsay Kaiser, great work today. Appreciate the conversation. We'll have you back, but until we get you back, uh, let folks know where they can follow you or your writing and your social media so they can keep track of you until we get to talk to you again. 
Yeah, it, it was such a pleasure speaking with you, Andrew. Um, you're welcome to come follow me on Twitter at Kaiser underscore Lindsay. Um, and also on the Young Voices website, you can just search up Lindsay Kaiser. But this was great. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Um, we will definitely have you back. Uh, enjoy <laughs> summers in Michigan, which are wonderfully pleasant because you pay for it all yes. winter long. My, my old company was headquartered in Ann Arbor. Going up there in January was always fun. Uh, but oh, Lindsay, yeah. <laughs> Lindsay Kaiser, great job today. Appreciate the conversation. And we'll talk more. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, man. See you go off like a bomb.